0: And welcome to episode 32 of the Jacobin Sports Show. I am Matthew Miranda. Joined as always by the man who puts the gist in sociologist, Jonah Birch. Jonah, what is your astrological sign and do you feel like whatever your astrological sign is? Uh, so I'm an Aries. Um, is an Aries? I, You know. What does yeah, that what, mean? What's an Aries? What does it mean to be an Aries? No, I don't know. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Let me see. I'll tell you Should right now. Should we look it up? I'm going to look at it right now. Aries yeah. traits. Um, according to Google, Aries are very ambitious, um, very honest, they are mm. self-assertive, brave mm. and unafraid of anything. They are creative, mm. optimistic, and good organizers. Are your ears burning? Does this does this sound like Jonah Birch to Jonah Birch? Nothing like me. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Lazy, disorganized, <laughs> pessimistic. Hey.
0: You are the, you're the contrarian uh, Aries. The contrarians. Yeah,
1: you know, maybe it's like a, it really depends on your like ethnic background or something. You know, the like, like Jewish, Irish, Catholic in me.
0: Uh-huh. Optimistic does not describe us. You know, <laughs> that's not a uh, that's, that doesn't sound right. I would say your people's experience to make that fair, to not have that optimism. Um, hey. Okay, well, shot in the dark so all of you out there Jonas and Aries, send your thoughts to jacobinsports at gmail.com. Today's episode runs the gamut in the world of sports. We will discuss the NFL. We will discuss Major League Baseball. We will discuss the latest Champions League chicanery. A little bit of viewer email for you, Jonah. And um, we're going to get back to this question later. It's an NBA question, but I'm going to, just to kind of get the get it brewing, I'm going to give you five players that I know you've heard of. And I want you to tell me if any of them, in your mind, are Hall of Famers. Okay? Ooh. Yeah, I love Uh, it. First, we have great late 80s, 90s Indiana Pacer point guard, Vern Fleming. Okay, I love this. Keep going. Number two, the shortest player in NBA history, Tyrone Muggsy Bogues. Wow. Number three, one of the few Pistons that people maybe did not hate back in the day, Vinnie Johnson. Number four... A nick for three games, Wesley Matthews. And last on the list, former Orlando Magic point guard Jameer Nelson. Jonah, are any of those players Hall of Famers? Not a one. Not okay. a single one. Hold that thought. I thought yeah, okay. Because we'll we're going to we're come back to this. But I love that game, and I love yeah, that you, you, know, you threw that out to me. That's the setup. We'll get to the punchline at the end. But please, okay. for those of you playing at home, remember the names. Vern Fleming, Muggsy Bogues, Vinny Johnson, Wesley Matthews, and Jameer Nelson. They've definitely Um, already forgotten. Everyone has already (laughs) forgotten those five beams. Yeah. For some reason, I don't know if you have this with certain players, like Vern Fleming was a fairly nondescript NBA player, especially when I started to follow um, closely. He wasn't really a starter once the Pacers were good. But like Vern Fleming could be, you know, 500 yards away from me wearing camouflage at the top of a tree, and, like, I would spot Vern Fleming. Like, for some reason, I cannot forget the face, the name. I still remember his basketball card. Maybe there were so many Vern Flemings, I can't forget it, but Vern Fleming is burned into my mind um, for some strange reason. Yeah, I have um, the same
1: relationship with Joe Klein. You know, there's a whole bunch Joe of players Klein, from yeah. that era. Very yeah, memorable, right?
0: you know. Yeah. Hey. Reminds me of, um, we had a recent Twitter a little Twitter action with former Portland and Celtic great Allah Abdel Nabi, who was another player that, like, I just cannot not remember always, like... Totally. ...for whatever reason. So, anyway, um, before we dive into today's topics, I will introduce today's guest. Today's guest believes Roger Clemens never took PEDs, that Democrats and Republicans are meaningfully different, and that socialism will never work because of, quote-unquote, human nature. Today's guest is nobody. Um... Let's begin with the NFL, Jonah, and let's begin with your old stomping grounds. The Patriots lost 17-16 to the Miami Dolphins in a AFC East slugfest. Um, Mac Jones looked to put pretty good numbers. I saw none of this game. I'm not going to see any of this game. I'm just curious. First, um, your reaction to the outcome, to what you saw or have heard about Jones' performance or anything else with the Patriots. How are you feeling At 0-1, as the Mac Jones era begins.
1: First of all, I blame myself for the loss, because I had to grade some papers, so I was, like, half paying attention when the fumble happened. You know how that is. Like, it definitely was my fault for for losing focus. Um, You know, people in New England are are, uh, totally overreacting to... I mean, they're ready to put Mac Jones in the Hall of Fame, and he looked good yesterday, you know, and they... Um, they put him in situations to to succeed, but he made some really good throws. You know, he, he stood in the pocket and um, and delivered on some some really good throws, some tough tough plays where uh, you know, there was a lot of pressure on him. The team felt unusually disorganized, but there's a way in which, you know, I, given the 17 game season and the way lots of people approach the preseason. I, I, you know, I'm not sure how much stock to put into this game, just to be honest. Like, whether it's what happened to the Packers, and I was talking, you know, I teach in Milwaukee now, so talking oh, yeah. all kinds of smack to my students who are not having it today. Uh, like, or, um, you know, a Bill Belichick team with a lot of penalties and a couple of turnovers, bad turnovers. You know, I'm just not sure how much it means. Those are correctable things. Mac Jones looked good. Mac Jones looked good If the Patriots can get The rest of the team You know Settled Then mm-hmm. They could have something Now He's not gonna be Tom Brady ever Certainly not this year uh, And people are really They're really um, <laughs> They're overreacting There is a uh, A hysteria About Mac Jones Who is a, Who seems good Seems like a good quarterback But Not Hall of Fame worthy yet
0: Well, since you have mentioned the age-defying elephant in the room, um, it's been a year since Freddie left for Tampa. Uh, He led the Buccaneers to a very typical Brady win on Thursday. I knew once Dallas kicked that field goal with a minute and a half left, they were done because it was just too much time to give to Brady. But I'm curious, now that a year has passed and the franchise has, they have this new quarterback, fans seem excited about him, he seems compatible with Belichick and that system, I'm curious today, a year later, Brady's won his Super Bowl. The Patriots have re, you know, configured themselves around this very promising young player. Are New England fans right now are they cool with everything that's gone down with Brady being gone and Mac Jones being there? Is there is there still resentment that why is Tom Brady not in New England? And if so, is it Tom Brady's is, is the story that Brady left because he had to or wanted to? Is it that Kraft wouldn't pay enough? Did Belichick want to move on? Like, why is Tom Brady, two New Englanders, not in New England? And how do they feel about that today?
1: So, first of all, I think that people generally feel pretty good. And they're ready to move on. I, You know, every time Tom Brady uh, puts on a performance, and that despite the two turnovers, he he looked great. I mean, really, there were... He, he's ageless. It's true. Uh, and it... Everyone has flashbacks to all those years. I mean, so many, forget the playoffs for a second, just incredible regular season performances. Go back and watch week after week, 2014, 2015, 2016, you know, just some, some really amazing performances. And so, you know, that brings up a, a tinge of, of regret. Um, clearly, I, I think everyone agrees that it was Belichick who put, pushed him out, that, that Robert Kraft would have uh, kept him as long, as you know, forever, uh, and um, and Belichick was was thinking about the future. So you know everyone's on the same page about that. It does feel better now that the drama of the Bill versus Tom, you know the the epic battle. I mean Boston Sports Radio has milked that for three years. You know, and it's <laughs> yeah, right. so now a little bit there is some. It feels like a bit of closure. Although come week four of this year, it's all going to come flooding back, right? Yes, it is. Um, you know, and if Tom Brady, if he has another deep run into the playoffs, another great season, all the indications, uh, it looks like he definitely could. I I don't know. What do you do with that? I mean, why would you ever get rid of Tom Brady? It's still a question, right? It makes no sense. He's still unbelievable.
0: So, yeah. you
1: know, uh, yeah.
0: I'll never it's leave. It's got to it. be weird. It's got to be weird. I just it can't imagine that. Thing.
1: You know, and so the Brady to Gronk thing in particular, I mean, you know, Gronk caught two touchdown passes. I'm going, oh, man. (laughs) This was us for so many years. Uh Um, Uh Sometimes in life you have to move on. You know, it's probably the same way Jets fans feel about Sam Darnold, right? So many great memories, but sometimes you got to let it go.
0: Speaking of the Jets and Sam Darnold... Um, Nietzsche said that when you look into the abyss, the abyss also looks into you. And I'm wondering if Sam Darnold was thinking of Nietzsche while he was watching his team play the Jets yesterday with Jet rookie Zach Wilson, the quarterback, being sacked six times in his debut. Darnold, of course, spent years pretty much as a human piñata behind the Jet offensive line. For the Panthers yesterday, he was sacked just once. So it was delightful as a Jet fan to see that the team, in 2018, they took Darnold third. They couldn't put anything around him and basically dumped him. And I, I never thought, I would not have gotten rid of Darnold. I don't know anything about really Zach Wilson. He seems fine. He seems promising. He might be better. But the question always with Darnold was, you, you have given him nothing. Like, what is he supposed to do? Right. And I know it's one game and things may change and blah, blah, blah. But... Watching Zach Wilson having the Sam Darnold experience on the same field as Sam Darnold. I can't think of, of I, can't, I don't know the NFL draft nearly as well as the NBA, but I cannot think of another team that in a three-year span would have used two top three picks on two different quarterbacks and still don't have anyone to protect them. Um, and it's going to get worse for the Jets now because Mickey Becton, who is their really impressive um, young left tackle, He's out four to six weeks um, after having surgery to repair damaged knee cartilage. So, the Jets basically, to me, remind me of a friend I had when I was younger who would constantly get into romantic relationships that he was not equipped, like, to deal with. The relationship would go wrong. He would find someone new and decide, ah, that's, okay, now it's all good. This is love. Now I'm ready to go. And the same thing would happen because none of the foundational work was ever done. The Jets just keep dating and dating and dating. It's Mark Sanchez. It's Sam Darnold. It's Zach Wilson. And yet, I know the Jets hate to hear same old Jets, but I got to tell you, for a uh, New York football was not, this was not an exciting opening week for New York City football at all. And that's been the story kind of for years now. Do you ever think about the
1: fact that Mark Chan- Sanchez is the most successful Jets quarterback since Vinny Testaverde? I mean, that's kind of... That's unbelievable, right?
0: I, I would throw Chad Pennington in there also, but I think your point remains. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, certainly in terms of success, absolutely, you're right. In terms of success, Mark Sanchez is the most successful Jet quarterback since Show Namath. Like, there's no question. He's been to two two AFC title games. The Jets, as a franchise, I think have been to three since Namath.
1: Yeah. I mean, I watched that first half for Carolina and it, it felt like a A vicious cycle restarting. Mm -hmm. And I to be honest, I felt I felt happy for Sam Darnold. You know (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 He escaped. They you know, talk about someone who got terribly mistreated. Well, you know, really Mm -hmm. the short end of the stick, but he got out of there into a situation that probably is the best possible situation he could have gone to, right? Probably the best team he's been on. Yep. They, they have some kind of talent, some some people around him, some playmakers. And mm-hmm. it's not like a big high-pressure market, right? You know, he mm-hmm. can be a little bit anonymous in the rest of the country. And that first half was just unbelievable. Um, maybe they'll turn it around. They look better in the second half, of course. But you got to think this is a lost season for the Jets. I mean, after I just said, throw out the first game, it doesn't mean anything.
0: Well, I'm, the Jets I'm are ready. different.
1: The Jets are different. <laughs>
0: Hey. Um, I would agree. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think there's any expectations that the Jets will do anything. I think the hope, and maybe the expectation is that they should be better because, like, how you shouldn't be the second worst team in the league again. But I really. Th- I mean, now you're looking at possibly six weeks without your best lineman, and it's not a team with a good line to begin with. And it's a rookie. You don't have a great running game. Um, I, I think the Jets are in for another long season, which maybe is what they need. Maybe they have to draft. You know, alignment very high or some kind of a playmaker to help, but um, the the Jets, as much as any team in the league, week one feels like week 18 of last year. It just feels like, here we go again. Um, So let's get away from the this repetitive Jet nonsense, and let's look at, basically, who do you want to talk about? We could talk about the Packers and how Aaron Rodgers looked. We could talk about the Steelers and the Bills. Dallas Anything you want to get into? Who, Let's who, talk who, about what, the Packers. I, I want to do the Let's Packers. Let's talk about next. the Packers. All right.
1: So you know, my students, I I polled them today, and I said, "Are are you done with Aaron Rodgers in Wisconsin?" And the consensus was, "Well, Aaron Rodgers is done with us." And I, I you know, I just uh-huh. warned them: once he's gone, you're gonna regret it. You know, yep. you're gonna you're gonna be upset. It's never gonna be the same again. Look, the team looked terribly unprepared. He looked like someone who was just not mentally there at all. Uh, That was a a devastating ass-whooping. Now, we've seen that before for successful teams as a Patriots fan. No Patriots fan will forget week one, 2003, when Belichick released Lawyer Maloyer. Then their their safety and team Mm. captain, and he went to the Bills, and the Patriots Mm -hmm. played the Bills week one, and... The Bills just kicked the shit out of the Patriots, uh, mm-hmm. and that, rather than being the start of a collapse of team morale, uh, you know, it turned into a fourteen and two season. It's hard to see this turning around in a way that leads to a a happy ending for you know any anyone involved here, uh, because that was I mean I'm just I I don't think I've ever seen the Packers play play that bad, you know with this, uh, with one of the great quarterbacks of all time.
0: I read that it's only the third time in Rodgers' career that he's had two turn two interceptions and no touchdowns in a game ever. And at least one of the interceptions was hard to understand. He threw one a, a bomb into way down the field from kind of from his own end zone to nobody. There was no packer anywhere nearby. It was just a question of whether the DBs would pick it off, which they did. I wonder um you know, now that If if you've been following the Jeopardy! news, the scandal around Mike Richards losing that spot, perhaps Aaron (laughs) Rodgers having second thoughts. Or, maybe more likely, I feel, I don't know, I think this is a cliche from my youth and maybe it doesn't apply, but like, the talk always around football makes it sound like for some magical reason, chemistry is a bigger deal than it is in other sports. Like, I feel like in baseball, chemistry is extremely overrated. Absolutely. You can hate your teammate, like, as long as you can play. I think in basketball, it's somewhat important, but I think in football... Whether it's true or not, there's a there's a, a feeling that like it really matters. And I wonder when you have just such blatant open, you know, disdain between your star player and your organization, and it's not like the source of the conflict was resolved. Like nothing's changed other than the fact that like Rogers came to camp and is going to play this last year with them. And I just wonder anyone who's worked in any workplace, you know, you can be deflated by tension between Absolutely. The people around you. I don't know if that's a thing. Um, we could be overreacting just to a bad game. Sure. It happens, but. Um, Let me ask you this: So, first of all, is this? Do
1: you think this is a preview of what the Sixers will look like if they don't trade Ben Simmons? You know, the disgruntled star who who just is wants to be anywhere else.
0: He'll hold think, out. Yeah. It's going to be different. I think. I think if you saw Simmons. Making the it came out in the news this week that he basically told the Sixers that like it's not there it's not his job to reestablish his trade value which is one of the great blind spots I think I've ever heard in my life absolutely um, fucking amazing I love it incredible if you don't like the Sixers this is like you are a pig and shit this week this is awesome I, yeah I can see it as similar I think because I think it's rare that that it's rare to see a great player held long Houston tried it with Harden a little bit last year. And it was just a disaster. And then he made comments after a loss to the Lakers that like they had to get rid of him because John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins and other people were understandably offended by Harden, basically saying like I'm used to playing with contenders. Look at this now. Like he had to go with Rogers. I th- I think the the question of football is like you're probably not gonna tra- you're probably aren't gonna trade him because teams don't a they don't trade as much and b they certainly don't trade the something as significant as a starting quarterback. Um, You would never get value back, I don't think, for him. I don't even know what teams would make the move. But, yeah, I can see this getting worse and worse. It may just be one game. It may have nothing to do with chemistry issues. But if, you know, a month from now, the Packers are, you know, two and four, um, I think it could go downhill in a hurry. Because you know there's nothing holding you two together after this season. So, you know, it could get really ugly, I think.
1: Yeah, so, I'm. you know, everyone seems to think... That the Packers kind of missed their opportunity to trade him; they would have to have done it in the off season. Is there a possibility that if things really deteriorate, he gets traded somewhere during the season? And if so, I have a potential destination I want to ask you about. Uh, if you are, if you're
0: proposing that Aaron Rodgers will find himself on the New York Giants, I'm okay with that.
1: No, um, no, you... no. Although I'm very okay that's with interesting. That. So um, everyone thinks that Miami is waiting for, yes. you know, Deshaun Watson. What about, I, you know, Tua did not look great. Did
0: not look great he did yesterday. Not. He has so, not looked great. You
1: get the impression that there's not a ton of confidence in, uh, in him in that organization. Fairly mm-hmm. or unfairly. Mm-hmm,
0: there mm-hmm. are
1: obviously, there are other trade destinations that have been floated that maybe seem more plausible. Uh, Denver was the one I was thinking of, although the Giants, you could see how that would make a lot of sense. Yes. Uh, what about Miami?
0: You know, I think it makes all the sense in the world. Um, yeah. I think that the Dolphins are a very, they're pretty deep everywhere but quarterback, very talented. Um, I feel like they could put together like a, a fair deal if Green Bay were interested in doing such a thing. And I think if Rodgers were on the Dolphins, I don't know like the X's and O's of how they run their offense versus what green Bay does. But as Rodgers is, I think 38, he's basically seen everything. Um, that would be a fascinating move that basically I think would put the dolphins, I think right up there with the bills and the chiefs in the AFC because they have so much going for them, except the quarterback. And if you're the Packers, you get draft picks and Tua, like whatever you think of Tua, like he's a young quarterback prospect. Um, they're clearly not settled on Jordan Love, so why not bring in, you know, more competition and either it ups Love's game or maybe two is the better fit. I would love to see it. As a casual fan, I would like to see I'd like to see that happen. I think it'd be very exciting. Um I can't remember the last major trade like that in an NFL season, but it would very it would be very cool to see. Yeah, certainly more cool than thirty eight to three <laughs> ass whoopings. Um, what else stood out to you from, from yesterday's results?
1: Yeah, so I watched the uh, you know I watched the Pittsburgh Buffalo game, and uh, mm. that was a very impressive second half for the Steelers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they look mm-hmm. good. I you know I don't want to piss all of our our listeners from exotic locales like Pittsburgh off, but uh, Ben Roethlisberger is just so unlikable to me. You know, it's very hard for me to accept mm-hmm. that. He's still a, a, a viable NFL quarterback. But it did feel like, you know, he, he really was... Um, he played well yesterday. I thought the Steelers played really well. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the, the Bills, you know, bounce back from this. One of the favorites, obviously, in the, you know, in, in not just the AFC, but in the league more generally. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but that was a bad loss. They were up. They, you know, they were... In, in, Great position to win that game and some Mm -hmm. terrible mistakes on special teams and, you know, really, really blew it for them. So, whatever, maybe it's not that big a deal. I mean, again, week one, you want to take things with a little bit of a grain of salt, but uh, they really blew the game in the second half in a way that was shocking to me. And and they looked terrible in the fourth quarter at home in front of a really psyched-up crowd. So, Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting. And then, obviously, the Chiefs-Browns game. Yeah. I I don't know. Do you think the Chiefs are just gonna stomp to the Super Bowl? I mean, is
0: that I think they're gonna stomp for a while because I think the Chiefs are I I think losing has them highly motivated. I don't very early to say, but like I don't know how many teams you think in the AFC have like to beat the Chiefs, you're gonna have to score a certain number of points because you're not gonna hold them to like ten or thirteen. How many teams in the AFC can do that to stop them from the Super Bowl? I think Cleveland's one of them. Um, I think Buffalo is another. The concern in Western New York with the Bills is that they don't really have a great pass rush. And they don't have a great offensive line. And the Steelers have as good a, a pass rush just from their front four as anyone in the league. Sure. And you saw that yesterday with the Bills. So I think, you know, I think I... You give me Kansas City or the field in the AFC, certainly I'm taking Kansas City because I don't know at this point if Buffalo did anything to narrow the difference that much. Cleveland's intriguing. I think Cleveland, they didn't have Beckham last year. They're very talented. They have such a great line. They have such a great running game. They're really interesting. They could be the team, I think, in the AFC this year that is the biggest threat to Kansas City, but they have to get that monkey off their back. They could have beat them last year in the playoffs. They couldn't beat them in week one. I had the lead much of the game, um, at least in the first half. It looked really, really good. I think Cleveland's dangerous, but like I would take Kansas City. You could take the rest of the conference. I would take the Chiefs right now. I just I trust... think they're motivated.
1: Go yeah. ahead. No, no. Do you trust Baker Mayfield? Uh I mean, I that's the question to
0: me. First, you know. I, I think I haven't seen it, but I feel like He's still so young and has only been on, this is probably the second good team he's ever been on in the NFL, so he doesn't have the resume to look at and say, ah, I trust Baker Mayfield. But I think the nice thing with Baker Mayfield, and it was similar to what happened with Eli Manning when the Giants um, won their first Super Bowl, the Giants had a terrific running game, strong line play, so Eli didn't have to win the whole game. There are moments in the playoffs where like, the quarterback has to make plays, and Eli did that and I don't know if Mayfield yet will do so, but I think if you were asking me, you know, if Mayfield was leading the Bills, do I think, would I trust him? No, because I think Josh Allen has to do a lot for that team to be good, and I don't know if Mayfield can do all that, but can Baker Mayfield be like a super game manager and make a few plays in the playoffs? I'd like to think that he could. I haven't seen it, but like I said, he hasn't really been in that position that much, and last year he didn't have his best receiver, so... I think if if the Browns are in a playoff game and you know Beckham is there and Chubb is there and and all their their healthy playmaker pieces are there I think I give him as much of a shot as anybody. Um it's just it's hard to pick against Kansas City.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What about in the NFC? What do you have any uh any impressions? I mean, it, you know, the 49ers look like world beaters and then Almost blew the, it, you know. Almost fell apart. Yeah, the Rams yeah. look good.
0: The Rams are good. The Rams are interesting, um, especially with with Stanton. I'm very interested to see. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of the mid game Stafford. Um, the Rams are very interesting. I think that the NFC to me kind of feels like, like like it's always musical chairs and the Cowboys, like. I think that the Niners are interesting, but not good enough to win it all. I think that the Packers are interesting, but I'm not sure they're good enough to win it all. I think that the Cowboys are always the Cowboys, so I think they'll score a bunch of points, play a bunch of crazy games, finish 8-9, and nine, and either win a weak division or barely lose it. I don't have as much of a sense of the NFC right now, even coming into the year, than I did about the AFC. I sure. I assume Tampa will be there. But other than that, like, I don't know if I trust the Packers. The Saints are not what, you know, I mean, maybe they'll be good. They were great all yesterday. Um, I really the don't Eagles. know. Do you have a few? Uh, I mean, I'm not sure about the quarterback full time. I'm not sure about. He looked good. He looked good, he didn't did he? Yeah, he looked fine. I'm not. My problem is my, my question with the Eagles is less. How good is Jalen Hurts? And just more like, how good are the Eagles? I am not. I don't trust that that team right now from top to bottom. But in that division, really other than, I guess, Washington, I don't know if anyone in that division is like a decent football team. Sure. Dallas is, you know, Dallas is Dallas. The Giants will not be good. I don't know if the Eagles will be either. I think Seattle will be good. They'll, I think they're interesting. But I say that every year, and they haven't won in how long? So... At the moment, I'm not seeing where Tampa's really big competition is coming from. I'm really. Not By the sure. way,
1: ha- have you seen the finalists? Did you see the finalists for the Washington Football Team name potential replacement? I
0: did, and I can't. There was one I can't remember. Almost any of them now. I liked one a lot, and I like Washington Football Team. I think that's a nice. I just like that as a reductive title, but I don't remember most of them. I'm almost certain
1: they're going to stick with that in the end. I, I yeah. feel like that's the the betting favorite. Some of the other ones yeah. are. Defenders, the Washington Defenders. Yes. The Washington Guardians. The Washington Red Hogs. Obviously, you know, the nickname and uh, Mm -hmm. associated with the the glory years. Mm -hmm. My, The one I really liked, which no one else seems to like, is the Washington Armada. I really, you know, I I appreciate the 1588 vibe. Yeah. You know, it feels very, uh, (laughs) you know... Yeah, it sounds like Spain an MLS.
0: That sounds like an MLS team to me somehow.
1: Okay, the fine, fair enough. It just
0: feels a little. Uh, but it is nice.
1: You know, you should go go with something out of the blue. The Washington Visigoths, you know, the Washington <laughs> Holy Roman Empire, <laughs> you know, the Washington earmarks, like something like that. You know, yeah, too yeah, yeah. on the nose. Kinda... Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> hey. uh, I like Washington football. Team, I like that. Um, and it has kind of the, the 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 dignity of like EPL teams that I like when they don't take themselves too seriously. Like Washington Football Club would be my personal favorite, but I know that will never happen.
1: Yeah, um, too
0: European. Yeah, yeah, we don't want that in Washington. But I I I think Armada's nice. Um, I hope it's not you know Guardians. Um, No, and and now that
1: Cleveland is going in that direction, I don't think it's possible. Now, the real question is, you know, it's all well and good when the the football team changes its name. But what they really need is for the owner to change his name. Because as long as his name is still Daniel Snyder, Mm -hmm. the vibes are going to be fucked. You know, they're going to be whack.
0: There Uh, are very few owners in sports that if you told me you can trade James Dolan for so-and-so, I would not do it. There's almost none. But Dan Snyder might be the one person on the list that I'm like, nope, I will stay with the evil that I know.
1: Now, if he changed his name to Daniel Armada, that now right. that would be that would be a killer name. You know, it would all everything would turn around for him. I feel that like would be
0: Dan- da- yeah. Daniel Armada, a,
1: come on, that's a great name, great name right there. It Think is. Think about it. Better than
0: Daniel Guardians, definitely one hundred percent, without question. <laughs> yeah, Daniel Redhogs, <laughs> right. Look. Um, speaking of, I don't know how to segue, speaking of, of struggling, struggling entities, I'm going to turn briefly to the world of baseball, but a struggle that I think you will enjoy, which is the New York Yankees just eroding in September, losing game after game after game, while all the while the the Toronto Blue Jays on the ascent into second place, And thank God the New York Mets this weekend taking care of business, taking the Yankees down. We had, you know, whistling allegations of cheating. The high and mighty Yankees who have not been able to shut up about the Astros for years. Accused, and there's video evidence of them perhaps whistling to indicate pitches as they come in. There was a little dust-up between Francisco Lindor and Giancarlo Stanton. Which got Brett Gardner riled up, which is always scary because Brett Gardner literally looks like police brutality, like in human form. Amazing, um, John Birch. I know that you're hoping the Red Sox take one of the wild card spots. I don't care right now about predictions or intelligence or analytics. Just on a purely emotional, raw level, just in your heart, who would you like to see be the second American League wild card team? If the if the Red Sox made it as one. Who are no, you no, taking I, I don't want the Red Sox to make it.
1: Uh, you, know, you don't? No. What? what is this? No, no. No, because I think they're going to lose. Breaking news on the
0: Jacobin Sports Show.
1: Can no, merch? I think they're going to lose. And, you know, I don't want that kind of emotional roller coaster when I think the payoff is going <sighs> to oh, be, you know, really, okay. really terrible. I mean, whoever knows in baseball, right? You know, things, things are so unpredictable, obviously, in the postseason, and it depends on who's mm-hmm. getting hot, but... Uh, no, I don't think it's going to work out, and I, I don't need that in my life right now. You know, <laughs> just, uh, just put it to bed and wait till next year, and I will be absolutely fine with that. I would like to see... I would be happy if the Blue Jays steamroll the Yankees. You know, that, that would be fine with me. Whoever mm-hmm. feels threatened or resentful about Canada at the end of the day. I mean, you know, sometimes... <laughs> Okay, the the Raptors. There's there's some you know competitive instinct there, but the Blue Jays go nuts. You're not going to upset me. That that's fine with me. You know I've I never like hated,
0: you... I can't hate the Raptors either. They're just they exist, but I don't hate them.
1: Listen, when it comes to the NBA, <laughs> beneath it, I hate I hate everything
0: and everyone. <laughs> you <know. laughs> well, you had a direct. You had the Raptors have been in your way. They have not really been in the Knicks' way. That's for true. a long time, so I have no reason to hate them. But I will tell you, as a fan of a baseball team that's won only one World Series in my lifetime, a basketball team that's never won, a hockey team who's won once in 81 years, and a fan of the New York Jets and Giants, it is so striking to me to see you, the fan of like the one of the dominant franchises of the first 20 years of this century, be like, I'm, I I can't no more pain. I can't have any more pain as a Red Sox fan. Hey. I don't want to have it anymore. I, I am like outside. There's a scene, if you remember, did you see Ghostbusters, the first one? Of course. If you remember the scene, it's such a great demonstration of classism. Rick Moranis' apartment party gets disturbed by this giant devil dog. And the devil dog chases him through the city. And he ends up running to the, the, the outside of this glass paneled, very fancy restaurant. And he gets to the the window and he's knocking on it and everybody just inside very wealthy ignores him. He turns around, the demon dog is right there. There's this horrible snarling sound. The people stop for one second, and then they all go back to their they all go right back to their food. Right, don't right, even right, right. Think, don't even think about it. I feel that way. Like I'm looking at your sports reality, and I'm just like I'm outside. Like let me in. Like. You've had so many World Series and you've had NBA ties. You've had everything. And I'm out here in the cold with, you know, Luis Rojas and James Dolan running two-thirds of my heart. And you're like, I don't really want to make the playoff. You know what? I'm going to pass on the postseason this Let year. Let me ask you a question, my friend. Are you the key master?
1: Because I am the gatekeeper.
0: Are you the gatekeeper? The
1: yeah. Gatekeeper so, uh, you know, fame. little random fact that people might not remember about uh, the first Ghostbusters the mayor, the guy, go- the stand-in for Ed Koch, the Ed Koch, evil yes. Ed Koch, later played a lawyer on The Sopranos. Played Tony's lawyer on The Sopranos. Oh, little, boy. you know, uh-huh. I don't know if there's any greater meaning there, but great movie, greatest show of all time. Just something mm-hmm. to uh, something I always think about. Now, how do you feel about Francisco Lindor now after his? I mean, come on, spectacular performance that really, like, uh, won for the ages in this game that felt like a bit of a blood match,
0: right? You know, it really did feel uh, like a showdown. one of the rare occasions of the two teams playing, like, a meaningful game in September for both of them. I loved it for Lindor. I loved it especially because I'm glad that at some point this year he got the experience of this is what it's like to win a big game and be a big part of it in New York City because there's been so much... You know, He was at the U.S. Open with his family um, right after the thumbs down thing kind of broke. I'm glad that he's getting to see the other side of what it can be like to be a New York Met in New York City because it can be tremendous, and I I loved it for him. I was very happy. I was thrilled seeing the, um, the people dancing on the Yankee dugout with the Puerto Rican flag. That's like one of the greatest things I think I've ever seen in my lifetime. I'm glad he had the experience... I hope they finish strong. I hope he gets a sense of, like, this is what it can be because there have, most New York athletes struggle in year one. A lot of them do well in year two, and I think more of that from Lindor in the future. Like, this fan base will just, they will love him. You will never hear, you know, you'll never hear about the thumbs-down thing again, or the fans will start doing it, like, ironically. Like, I was very glad for him, very, very, very happy for him and for how that game turned around. I was driving and it was 5 nothing the Yankees, in the second inning. And it was the, it was the classic Med fan experience. I was like, that, all right, that's it. I'm done. Season's over. Hate this team. I'm not looking. And then I checked the score like an hour and a half later. I'm like, oh, shit, yeah. And now I'm following like all along. So very happy for Francisco Lindor. <laughs> Let me take you to a strange world, Jonah. Hey. Um, you will recall a few months ago, there was much hullabaloo around the proposal of a European Super League. Because God forbid that the benevolent sanctity of the Champions League ever be compromised. But if you have seen recently, um, there was a couple articles in the Telegraph this week. Champions League reforms going through are not popular among the media, among the players, among the fans. And I was not sure how this new model worked. um, But I read up on it and studied it today. And holy God, this sounds like a fuck up. And it's called the Swiss model. Um, So we will title this segment Swiss Miss because we're very clever and good with puns. Let me just read this in case anyone's not familiar with what the new system will be, and then we will discuss it. So according to... This is from Jason Burt and Ben Rumsby, both of the Telegraph. Um, Champions League will be expanded from 32 to 36 teams, all into one league. Um, But each team will only play 10 other opponents. Every team will be seeded with a mixture of... High, medium, and low fixtures. They will not play the same team home and away, which is different and new and weird. Um, and basically, the, after 10 games, the top eight teams advance to the last 16, the knockout round. Teams 9 through 24 advance to a two-legged playoff, and then 25 to 36 are eliminated. And the teams who win in the two-legged playoff then advance to the knockout. Um nobody likes this um, hey okay Gundawa of Manchester City immediately tweeted about this basically seems like the super League all over again it's it's more games it's more money it's more entrenchment um, it also includes I think now two of the teams who are added are teams like there's like coefficients and things that have nothing to do with winning it's basically a backdoor for prominent Premier League teams who are not succeeding to get in anyway um, I don't you know, you can question things about the Champions League, but, like, isn't this a... You're fixing something that's not necessarily broke? Like, have you the last few years felt like, I need the Champions League to add more teams? No.
1: No, of yeah. course. I mean, this is obviously a response, right? You know, it's a response to the pressure put on by the the attempted Super League. Uh, mm-hmm. There, Whatever needs to be reformed about international soccer, it is not this, you know? This is not Ryan. the issue, you know... Of, of course, and it does feel like you're rearranging the deck chairs. I don't know about on the Titanic, but maybe on the Lusitania, you know, like someone is going to torpedo this. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, let me ask you this question. This is a separate question, but it seems to me that it's related. So the financial concerns in international soccer, right? So of course, obviously the biggest teams just want to make as much money as possible. That's obviously true. And the promise of it's going to trickle down is, right. you know, there's there's some truth to it, but fundamentally there's a lot of bullshit there, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's rich people lining their own pockets. I, To what extent does there have to be the imposition of some kind of salary cap to go along with you know, some financial redistribution in order to make... I mean, I don't know how that would work, but obviously the financial f- fair play rules have been busted. I mean, mm-hmm. the issue here is that even if... So there are some leagues, like the, the Premier League is quite competitive in a lot of ways, right? And there are some surprising risers and surprising fallers. And, but fundamentally, if in European soccer, you have a handful of teams that are just so wealthy, so unbelievably rich that they can blow everyone out of the water. It distorts the game in a way that and now I don't want to sound like I'm like a you know a boomer complaining about how uh you know we, we it's not like the 1980s anymore. Right, right. But but that does seem like the the fundamental issue here. And so of course the rich teams want to stay rich, much richer than everyone else. So their solution to everything is Why don't we split off and we'll play no no one but each other. And then, you know, it'll be, you know, everything will be super competitive and interesting because you'll have these gazillionaire teams playing each other all the time. That can't be the solution, right? You know, and until you do something to restore some kind of financial balance. Now, politically, I feel like I'm against the salary cap, right? You know, it's always a way of trying to limit player salaries, Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and in the end, owners use it to get players to make concessions on things they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is there's a really there's a fundamental problem here when you have some teams that are owned by a state, you know, like when you like a Gulf state or a, a, a Russian oligarch, it just totally it changes. Now, you know, I'm not complaining on behalf of John Henry and Fenway Sports Group. Uh, but but there is there is an issue here about the you know the lack of regulation of uh, you know and and how that messes up competitive balance is that wrong Am you, you said, Am I wrong? You said
0: yeah. I'm curious about something you said yeah I think what I agree with you you said like you don't know if um, a salary cap is the solution and my question is I don't know if there's a problem because and I don't know enough of European football history to, to speak intelligently on this but I know that for example like right now Manchester City PSG they can they can spend more than anyone and they they you know United still has an enormous wage bill also but like there are a handful of teams that can spend really with zero limitation for the most part and even some traditional powers now cannot like Liverpool has a lot of money they're not going to outspend. If City and PSG wants somebody, Liverpool's not going to get them. There's a lot of complaints um, among the, about that among the fans.
1: But you're totally right. I mean, what about Barcelona? They everyone thought the they had you, unlimited make, resources.
0: Yeah, and this is what I'm thinking about. And it's not. I'm not saying where we are today is good at all. But my my question is, it seems to me like in my brief time following European soccer, there have like when I started, Barca, Real. And I would say Chelsea and United could spend more than, like, anybody. And there were some articles, oh, this is terrible. But, like, as a a fan get into it, like, it didn't bother me. It was exciting news. Um, Barcelona, you you mentioned how certain clubs function as, like, state-run operations, which is true. And we all know who they are, and we know the criticism that they get. But I would say that Spain and Real, for a while particularly pre-pandemic, basically functioned as they were subsidized by the Spanish government. More than a team like Arsenal is in England. More than, you know, Germany's totally different. But I can't think of another major top five European power that had the kind of imbalance in its league that Barca and Real enjoyed over all their competitors, not just in Spain, but really kind of like even around Europe, now they don't have that advantage. Is that, I'm not a capitalist, but, like, is that the market? Like, is that, or is, is that just like, okay, now it's your turn. Like, it used to suck for this team, and now it sucks for you. And maybe in 10 years, because of how global economies shift, maybe City and PSG will come down a notch. And maybe other t- I don't know if it's a, I don't know the solution, but my question kind of open-ended to your response is, like, I'm not sure what the problem is, because uh, what I'm seeing is, yes, some teams have just obscene amounts of money, but I feel like that's probably always been the case.
1: Yeah, um, so what you're talking about about the Spanish teams is essentially some illegal subsidies absolutely. that the uh, Spanish state provided to the giant clubs through things like, you know, they did these land deals where, you know, essentially the finances were all out of whack and it was just a way of funneling money to the biggest clubs. Yeah. You know, and I I don't know how rampant that was, you know, and I, you know, other people would know more. It does. It helps explain something to me that I never fully understood, which is after the 2008 financial crisis, when Spain was a country that really had gotten hammered, how could they continue to dominate financially the world of international football? Now, of course, they have fans all over the world, the two biggest players, yada, yada, yada. But to finance those kinds of wage bills... And just to be at, at that level compared to clubs that were, you know, in countries that hadn't gone through the same kind of financial crisis and that had cajillionaire owners, I, you know, the the kind of collusion there between the state and capital, essentially, and that, that makes a lot of sense to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So setting that aside for a second, I, there's something real about, you know, just to say that there is, it does feel like there is a, um, I, don't know, I don't quite know how to put it, like there has been a progression where different leagues have been the dominant leagues yes. on the field and financially, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. one decade to the next, right? And it mm-hmm. feels like things, so, you know, what the the current status quo will not be the status quo forever. And there are a number of reasons for that, obviously. You know, there's a lot of, economic, political unevenness in Europe and other factors, obviously, at at play um, as well. And it could be the case that the situation you're seeing right now is not one that is going to be like it is, you know, forever. And it also, the Premier League should give people some hope, right? You know, the fact that you could have teams like Leicester, which won the league a few years ago, and has been able to push its way towards the top, even if they're not at that level with the, the biggest, biggest clubs. You know, there's something to play for there, obviously, right? <laughs> you know, so um, that is, that's exciting, and that's important. On the other hand, even if uh, who, the, the team that's buying all the best players, it changes over time, and there are ups and downs for different clubs. You see what Chelsea has done over the last couple of years. You see what PSG has done over the last couple of years. You see what Manchester City did before that and and what United has done. And just the ability to stockpile talent like that, it does not, you know, it's just not a long-term solution. And hoping for the best doesn't seem like the answer to me, right? You know, and I'm not... Yes. I'm not compl- like I'm happy. Liverpool, the team I'm uh, the club I'm a fan of, is I'm happy with where they're at. I, I'm I have many fewer complaints than most Liverpool fans. Although I wish they would shell out shell out for a, a midfielder, um, I you know, and it is it is interesting to see Barcelona get their comeuppance a little bit, you know, and a little bit sad, right? You know that's depressing, but this just is not a this is not how you want things to be, and and other leagues particularly. Outside of the Premier League. I mean, you look at the way the German league is structured or the, mm-hmm. you know, one team at the absolute top and then some a sort of competitor below them. And, and then PSG in France. I mean, I you know, I talk to friends who are uh fans of Marseille. And it just, you know, this is not this is not how it, it it's not a it's not a good situation,
0: I guess. So no. I, yeah. But the concern is always that I have is like like there is a problem like you're saying it reminds me of like in college basketball when like Kentucky will recruit a dozen five-star players and like some of them just rot on the bench and never play and like that's sad for the players you'd rather see talent dispersed throughout the sport so you can enjoy it more the 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 obvious like red flag here is as is always the case I don't want the wealthy changing the rules allegedly for the benefit of all of us because we know it's called human history like that's not happening it's it's not this is not whatever modification has been made and it's always the headline oh they added four more teams this has nothing to do with diversifying or extending opportunity this has to do with like throwing some crumbs to you know now Everton or or I don't know Sevilla or or some team like that or UDeneze like maybe they can get in and get a couple of nice championships but like this has nothing to do with this has nothing to do with integrity of the sport giving a shit about the fans caring about competitive balance it's just an end around to more money like so i would love to see an approach taken that changes things just not from these people like i don't you know it, it's like when the when uh, there was a, there was a headline i saw yesterday from like 20 years ago in the Times, of the CIA concluding there was no connection between the CIA and the crack a- epidemic. Like, well, no shit. Like, <laughs> I'm not asking the CIA to investigate the CIA, and I'm not asking the power the, the big five leagues in Europe to fix the problem that they have not had a problem with forever until the pandemic hit, and they made a little less extra money than they are used to having. Like, I just don't trust that. Right. Um, sure. Yep. Let's get off of it these- either. Well, let's get away from scumbags for a second and go to probably a brighter story. I know that you have thoughts about the, the women's final at the U.S. Open this year. So, I, you know,
1: I think a lot of people watched that final, which was unbelievable. I mean, against the, between these two 18-year-olds, I, I just got to say, you know, if you watch the semifinals or you watch the final, and I mean, Leila Fernandez in particular, had so much um, personality and um they they were so competitive it's a good reminder how much more interesting the women's game is right now than the men's game or maybe that's just to me but i would i was shocked obviously that djokovic lost in the final it was a huge upset it was it was just uh, you know and maybe it's because i'm not a tennis aficionado in the same way that some people are but i I was, it was less intriguing than what happened in the, in the women's final and um, the style of play and. Uh, Absolutely. The, yeah. The personalities. I mean, that was, uh, it was really amazing. It was incredible to watch mm-hmm. and it felt, it was so refreshing in some ways to have um, new people on the scene, real upsets that you weren't sure. I mean, mm-hmm. j- you know, really intense competitive matches and um, mm-hmm. with people who were, likable and interesting um and uh yeah it was um you know it it was um it it was an incredible experience we we got to get uh louisa thomas on the yeah i was just thinking of her on the pod to talk about it
0: yeah Um, i love that most of my life i have found the women's game more interesting either because of personalities or like you said like styles going up against each other it's been for me i mean i loved as a kid you know Michael Chang against anybody because he was just such a, he could volley anything and he'd be running around the court and you'd watch him play against, you know, somebody like Sampras. And it was very, very different. And Agassi and Sampras was a great combination of styles and, you know, Serena Williams, again, early on Venus and Hingis. And, and now coming up into this time. And like you're saying, like seeing new players and seeing just styles that make the fights and there's a, there was a real energy around that match. And I think one thing that was nice about it, because they were both, I think, relatively unknown to most of the public, there's no backstory. There's no public resentment. or It was just the excitement of discovering something new and enjoying it, um, which is beautiful. And I think, you know, I love Sunday mornings. You flip on a a tennis match, and it's like a Grand Slam final, and it goes the distance, and it's highly competitive. And the crowd, you know, the U.S. Open... I'm biased, obviously, as a New Yorker, but, like, I love the energy yeah, of the course. U.S. Open. of course. It's one of the great events. Um, you know, more than anything. Well, so, you know, yeah, like you're saying, that was great.
1: What I'm really interested in is whether I have some bias or I've been fed – or really, Novak Djokovic is as unlikable as he comes across. In I don't a- like him.
0: I don't like him. And I, there's, not, there's not many tennis players that I don't like. Because I'm not that invested in it. Like when Sampras would play Nadal, I mean, I'm sorry, Federer would play Nadal, and like I love Federer's way of playing, so I just rooted for him because I think he's beautiful to watch. But like, I had no beef with Nadal in the pa- back in the day. I, I have, I have, I don't know if I've hated sports hated any tennis player in my life. Jokovic is so unlike, and I know he's a brilliant player. People who love tennis, you know, can talk forever about like his brilliance and apparently he's a hilarious impressionist like he has all these things but like i just if i know he's playing whoever he's playing against that's what i'm rooting for yeah he seems like a dick i don't know why but he does it really does the the covet thing didn't help and like sure. <laughs> he had some giant party i think in croatia like uh, but but even before that like it changed. There was a point early on when I liked him, and, I, and he seemed like this wedge that would break the the binary between Federer and Nadal. And he was funny, but I don't know. Somewhere along the way, man, that dude got unlikable.
1: It's Too bad, honestly.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm anyone
1: from the Balkans. I'm I'm primed to like. You know, I'm ready.
0: I'm saying, yeah, uh, but not that dude.
1: Yeah, no, it just it's a, it's not a good match. Him and the world.
0: But let's not end on this dark note. Let's end with two pieces of viewer email, and then I'm going to wrap up that NBA question that I asked you. So we had an email a little while ago from Ari Grant Sasson, I believe is the name. And Ari wants to know, and this is especially interesting now that the Celtics have extended him, would you, Joan Birch, be interested in a deal that involved sending Jalen Brown... To Washington for Bradley Beal. God, why?
1: This is like, this is red meat to a dinosaur. You know. <laughs> um, uh, of course I wouldn't. <laughs> obviously. Obviously not. No, no, no way. Is it the age difference? No, no how. Uh, it's a number of different factors. First of all, yes, the age difference matters. And also the fact that Jalen Brown has improved every single season. And people have tried to set a cap on what he could be, and he's really, he's pushed it every single season, right? You know, and he's significantly younger, uh, obviously. He also is, um, you know, he's bigger. He's He has the potential to be a much better defender, and obviously Bradley Beal is a great player. He feels very, uh, you know, connected to Boston in a way that matters to me, to be honest, more so than Jason Tatum. You know, um, there's a way in which Jalen Brown... Really? Yeah, it's, yeah. More political, and they're both from totally different parts of the country, which they also feel connected to. Jalen Brown from Atlanta. and uh, But Jalen Brown feels like he's pushing Boston more. More yeah. engaged with the city, thinking more about, you know, the city and the, whether it's the politics of it. He You know, he's someone who, who feels like he's... Um, He's he's built an identity that's connected to the city in a, a way that means a lot to me. But the other thing is, you trade for Bradley Beal, and I don't want to upset any Wizards fans. If that's what you're going to do, he's got to be the, he's the third star, not the second. I mean, why would you swap them, you know? Jalen Brown, uh, before he got hurt last year, was great. I mean, really, like, was clearly taking major steps forward. Definitely has a lot of things to improve on has parts of his game that could you know uh, really the potential to dominate i don't Mm -hmm. that you know he doesn't want out he wants to stick around you have signed for years ahead Mm -hmm. like i I, it wouldn't make any sense to me you know and i it's great that bradley beal and tatum are are besties and um i would love Mm -hmm. to have bradley beal but that, that that's not that's not what you're gonna do you know that that's not a deal that makes sense Right, fair answer.
0: Jason Prentner wrote and wanted to know if there are any recommendations that we have of good NBA documentaries. I got screamed at by 10,000 people on Twitter when I wrote that The Last Dance is not a documentary, so I'm not going to touch that right now, because I don't Wait, need to...
1: why explain that one?
0: I got fucking shredded by so I... many people because A, God forbid... You say anything about Michael Jordan that's not literally a compliment. Like, it's not an insult. I was very clear in the piece. Like, this is marketing. Like, this is advertising. Like, that's what it is. The subject of the documentary has final say over everything in it. That's not a documentary. That's a commercial. I got death threats. I got people from Chicago talking shit to me about Puerto Rico. Like, that has anything to do with any of this? Um, So, yeah, it was ugly. It was very ugly. But you know what? I'm not going to say it, but those people know what I think of them. Um, as you hey. know, Jonah, uh, The Last Dance is really good. It's still on Netflix. Um, and and as someone who follows the NBA voraciously, I learned a lot of stuff in that that I had not known before and found it very interesting. Meta World Peace, who's now, sorry, Metta our test who's been my favorite players, one of my favorites, since he played at St. John's back in the late 90s. Um, I saw sides of him I had never seen before. I don't think I've ever seen Jermaine O'Neal talk that much in my life. Um, wonderful pe wonderful documentary. I'm struggling to think off the top of my head of NBA documentaries. Because in my head, I go back to the 80s and 90s when you could go to the video store and rent, like, come fly with me and just watch, like, an hour of Michael Jordan dunks set to music. I don't even know what makes an NBA documentary. Are you even aware of any?
1: Um, so I, you know... I want to ask you a, a separate question. I, I have an answer to that question that is not exactly about documentaries, okay. but I want to, we should go back and I want to rank the best uh, fictional basketball movies. Oh, nice. Or at least non, you know, uh-huh, so. Uh-huh. Did you ever watch the Pistol Pete uh, biopic? I did not. The Pete Maravich. No. Yeah, great one. I remember that from my child. Okay. Uh, I believe it's called the uh, the Pistol, Birth of a Legend. That's an early 90s movie. Um, there was a, obviously a series of... I don't know if they hold up, but... Uh, you know, very uh, impactful on me. Basketball movies from the 90s. Do you remember
0: uh, the air up there?
1: I I be... do. I, I
0: thought you were going to say air, bud. And I was like, don't go there. But yes, I do <laughs> remember the air up there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally.
1: You know, what, what, what do you think of me? Um... <laughs> You know, obviously, there's movies like uh, Blue Chips. Blue which, uh, Chips. Yep. You know, Nick Nolte, not quite at the peak of his powers, but no, they're still. You know, when he was still yeah. like vaguely, vaguely functional. Mm-hmm. I we we should go back and uh, rank some of those. I'm thrilled to do the that. Then there's the question of, yeah, I mean that that would be great, huh? Mm-hmm. What about basketball books?
0: The cap is wonderful. I was thinking of that, and I wasn't going to say it because it's not a documentary. But there's a book by Joshua Mendelssohn about the history of the salary cap and like organizing Larry Fleischer's role um, kind of as the Marvin Miller of the NBA. And it's, I know some people might hear that and be like, oh, it's not dry. It's fascinating. He spends a lot of the book giving you background on all kinds of things around the NBA. I, I mean, I learned so much from it, and it's interesting and it, it's you will learn and you will be entertained it's called the cap that's a wonderful book really really great book
1: okay that i mean that sounds great see i'm more of a classics man probably. i like i love 48 minutes for example mm-hmm. which i read as a uh I, I read as a kid uh let me ask you this i think you've read it probably do you remember the book by the reporter who followed we may have mentioned it on the pub. Stefan Marbury's team around when he was a kid
0: in yes. Coney Island. Um, and there was also um, Hoop Dreams was a really good documentary in the early 90s from Chicago. Um, I can't yeah, remember. I showed it in my class. Did you? Yeah. Nice. Was, yeah,
1: I mean, it's two and a half hours long, okay. so it turned out to be um, – it caused, it caused some problems. I mean, that's an amazing documentary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll leave you saying, holy shit, this coach, this program – I mean, obviously there are much bigger issues there. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It's very depressing. Yeah. I, and the last shot, which is, you know, it follows, it's a freshman, Steph and his teammates at Lincoln High. Mm-hmm. Um, I just went back and I was rereading it. And then I was looking up what happened to some of the, the guys in it. And some of their names are changed in the book, but it's, um, you know, it's also very depressing Yeah, um, in a yeah, lot of ways. It is. it is. You know, really captures a moment in New York in uh america in the early 90s and yeah it's uh, I a. Mean, in a lot of ways it's great and if you're someone who spent a lot of time in coney island mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh it'll um uh, it'll make you think
0: high flying bird is not a documentary but a really good piece of film that brings up a lot of interesting ideas about players and ownership of a league and what the purpose is of you know the players subjugating themselves to ownership when they're the they're what people want to see. They're what people are are tuning into. That says a, a Steven Soderbergh movie. Uh, I wrote a review yep. of it in Jacobin when it came out. Really, really, really good, interesting film. Yeah, we'll do this in the future. We'll do like films and books and and documentaries. Um,
1: Sounds great, man.
0: Let me give you so let me just tie up the thing from the beginning now. I'm going to ask you about yeah, Vern. Go ahead. So again, you remember Vern Fleming. Muggsy Bogues, Winnie Johnson, Wesley Matthews, and Jameer Nelson. None of them, sadly, in the Hall of Fame. I'm sure they're good people, but none of them made it. Um, the five combined for a single All-Star game. Now, I'm not doing this to shit on their careers. They're all awesome. But this is something I learned this week that I find just so interesting. There is a man, Jonah Birch, who, if you go to Basketball Reference, they have a very handy um, a little section called Similarity Scores where they will compare a player's basically overall production to his peers historically. There is a player I had never heard of. He is in the Hall of Fame. He was, for years, the second-best point guard, apparently, in the NBA, behind Bob Cousy. Um, Five Five years in a row, this player was All-NBA second team behind Cousy every single season. This player was a member of the 1958 St. Louis Hawks team that beat the Celtics in the finals, which was the only year in a 10-year span where the Celtics did not win the title. They lost in seven games in that series. This player, for his career, averaged less than 10 points a game. He's a point guard. A little over four assists, a little over three rebounds, and shot 36% from the field. When you see those numbers, you're like, holy... That's not a Hall of Famer at all. That's Vern Fleming. You know? That's... But this dude, whose name is Slater... Slater Martin is this man's name. Slater Martin... I, I usually am proud that, like, even old NBA history, like, at least I know the names. I never heard of this cat. I never in my life heard of Slater Martin. But this dude was apparently an incredible defensive player. And I guess he had to be because even in that dead ball era, those are, I checked Alfred Payton has better numbers than that. Okay. So That's fucked up, yeah, I was just, I was just <laughs> very struck by, Oh my God. Like so much respect Slater Martin. Um,
1: yeah. You know. I mean, he probably would smoke in two packs a day, you know, when <laughs> as soon as he got off the court, it's 1958, you know? Yeah.
0: Hey. He had like three jobs in the offseason. Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. I thought
1: you were going to ask me which of those five players made an all-star team. Do you know which did? Uh, did I tell you? No, but I, I, I remember vaguely. Who do you have? It had to be Jameer. It had to be Jameer. In
0: 2009, Jameer Nelson did make an all-star team. Jameer Nelson, part of a, an elite college backcourt with former Celtic great Delonte West... Um, you may remember, it. I think it's yeah. St. Joseph's in Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, St. Joe's. That's right. Uh, uh-huh. Right. I was going to say Temple, but you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point, I you know I want to do a retrospective also on the Vern Fleming Pacers teams. Would love De- uh, that. That Shrimp, um, well, and the Rifleman. I mean, Chuck. Chuck yes. Yeah,
0: yes. And they mm-hmm. had good that great series with the Celtics in '91. Um yep. that two seven series. At that game five. Nice. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. All right. I think we've gotten successfully away from all the scumbag energy we were dabbling in earlier. So I'm going to call it a day now, Jonah. Remember, you can follow Jonah Birch on Twitter at JonahB1793. And I am also on Twitter at Miranda613. You can follow the show on Twitter at Jacobinsports. Email any thoughts or questions. Please send us more email. I keep getting junk mail. I'll be from like capitalists, racists, and like computer antivirus companies and I just I don't need that in my life so please and by the way that's our are, audience buddy these, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, please send real email it's very nice um, and I promise we'll get to it on the air um, you can email us at jackhebbinsports at uh, our producer as always is the sound of one hand clapping Connor Gillies that will be all for this week's episode we look forward to seeing you next time stay safe everybody and we will see you around